I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to the Curls and Cinemas podcast. This week we will be discussing Stanley Tucci's biographical comedy drama, Final Portrait. I'm Sam Howlett and this week I'm joined by Jake Cunningham. Hello. And Ryan Hewitt. Hello. How are we? We're well. We're yeah, going we're, 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 yeah, extraordinarily well. Yeah. So, yeah. We're Excellent. good, yeah, yeah. What have you been up to this week? Um, well, yesterday I watched uh, four films in a row, which I probably can't talk about all of them yet. But um, I was in anticipation of The Square mm-hmm. um, after, for its premiere at Somerset House. I watched Force Majeure, uh, which wow. I realised everyone in the room is a big fan of. And, yeah. everyone, and really, with it being an artificial eye film, I probably should have seen by now. But I now watched it. That's taken you quite a while to watch. It has. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know why it's taken me so long as well. Um, but. It's it was it's really good fun as well. It I, I, yeah. It's excruciating. Yeah, yeah. But I, it's not in an excruciating way that I almost can't watch The Office anymore because <laughs> I find <laughs> it too much. This is it's a bit more acutely observed now, and there was just I, I love how he's got into the new mannerisms and language of how people interact with technology now mm-hmm. and how that and I think that becomes a big part of the square as well okay. and I think that there's a new realm of comedy of errors and interactions that we now have in relation to the internet which he's one of maybe the few directors that's he's actually getting that. into mm. okay there's, it's been compared to a kind of weird art house sort of curb your enthusiasm scenario or a Seinfeld yeah. scenario oh yeah yeah <laughs> I could totally yeah. sit and Jerry's on a date with someone. Yeah, you ran away. Of course, I ran away. Yeah. You looking forward to the American remake, the inevitable American remake? Oh, yeah, and it will be in Aspen or something. Yeah, yeah. 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 I remember. I don't know if this is still true, but it was going to be Julie Louis Dreyfus. Was it? Yeah, as the lead. Really I don't know if she was going to be the lead or the wife role, but I mean, they're really going for that kind of feel. And would Jerry Seinfeld be? And then, uh, oh, what's I, could, I could only know his name, Tormund from Game of Thrones. Yeah, the beardy guy. That's Larry it's, David. Yeah, <laughs> Kramer. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, how about you? What have you been up to? Uh, this week, I've watched uh, Greg Araki's The Doom Generation from '95, mm-hmm. part two of his Teen Apocalypse yeah. trilogy, which 
pretty much says what it is. It is <laughs> an extremely hip, completely nihilistic sort of road trip through some uh, three characters' right. lives where they hook up and attack people for various reasons. And it's it's quite wild. It's not dissimilar to something like Natural Born Killers, but it's yeah. less politicised. Okay. It's a bit more about like youth culture. Uh, it's quite fun, yeah. but it's also extraordinarily problematic. One of those things about uh, watching films from the 90s now is I realised that that is over 20 years ago. Yeah. Mm. And a lot of the attitudes have changed enormously since yeah. that. Yeah, it feels to me, it still feels kind of like a recent time because I was young yeah. and growing up then. But some of the stuff that it comes out with uh, is, is quite outrageous. But, you know, objectively speaking, yeah. it's a pretty fun ride. Yeah. Have you seen the only Greg Araki film I've seen is the one with um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt? I think it's Mysterious, Mysterious Skin. Skin. Oh yeah. yeah, I've only seen that one. It's quite a different tone, okay. although it's still very much going for shock value. Yeah, and it right. really goes there, like Zoom Generation does, his other work does, The Living End and things like that. They really go there and really test boundaries. But Mysterious Skin is much more uh, tender, I think, okay. as well. Interesting. Okay. Mm. Well, I finally got around to watching uh, Creep, yeah. the uh, Mark Duplass film. Uh, it's phenomenally weird. Didn't, didn't we watch another film called Creep? Is that the one on the train? So there's, there's another film called Creep, an English horror film from 2004, I think, which yeah. is about... It's set on the London Underground. Yeah. 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 And it's, um, Sean Harris. Sean Harris <laughs> is a weird mutant killer on the, sub, on, the, on the underground. But this is a completely different film. This is essentially a found footage film so there's two characters in it, Patrick Bryce, who directed the film as well, and Mark Duplass, and it's all improvised. And Mark Duplass hires Patrick Bryce to come to his house and document him for a day. And uh, Mark Duplass is perhaps one of the creepiest characters of recent memory right. in this film. Uh, there's a fake wolf called Peach Fuzz that shows up from time to time. <laughs> there's, a, there's a thing called Tubby Time in the bath, <laughs> which I don't want to go into. Oh, I've seen the promo photo of him in the bath. That's yeah, horrible. That yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think it works really well because it's as funny as it is scary. So oh, it's right. a perfect horror. It's not a horror comedy like Shaun of the Dead or Scream, where they kind of, it's almost a pastiche of horror films. This is a horror comedy in that. It's really, really funny, but also quite terrifying. Right. Well, that's that's like a, that's a thing at the in the last few years in the yeah. realm of something like maybe your next. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Is it is it a mumblecore style film? It's definitely got a lot of mumblecore stuff going on. Right. Um, but it's so dark. Yeah. Like shockingly dark at times, in terms of dialogue, and then in a certain thing that happens that re I was I'm not surprised easily I think by films often, but this shocked me at yeah. times. I have, a, I have a friend who um, will tell me about a film that she's watched yeah. and she'll kind of start by telling you the synopsis and she will go through and talk for so long but you don't know whether that where she is is just the synopsis and it's like a big setup for the film or it's the whole film. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was like waiting for the synopsis of yeah. Creep to happen and then she was like... And then this thing happens, and I was like, oh, and then that's going to be like the beginning of the film. And she was like, yeah, and that's how it ends. <laughs> so, 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 now, so now I know everything you know, that happens in Creep. <laughs> to be fair, it's only 70 minutes long, so it's very easy to explain the synopsis to someone. Mm. Um, but no, it's a really good watch. I recommend that. 
Okay, so as mentioned earlier, we're talking about Stanley Tucci's final portrait, which tells the story of artist Alberto Giacometti, played by Jeffrey Roche, his attempts to paint a portrait of his friend and art critic James Lord, played by Armie Hammer. But Giacometti's obsessive perfectionism somewhat delays the process. Here's an exclusive clip. Yeah, the end of the week, yeah. Oh, I see. I see. I, I you know, I could change it again. I just, I, I would like to know, you know, how many days do you need? Oh, I don't know. I think it would be great to work for another week. A week? A week, yes. I think a week would be good. Uh, no, no, no. A, a week is, is uh, it's fine. It's fine. I, I can just move my flight um, next Wednesday. Would that... Wednesday? Yes, Wednesday's good. Fine. Let's say Wednesday. Okay. Good. But then, you know, yeah. What? Well, I mean, there's no question of the portrait ever being finished, so... No, 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 of course, of course. Um, so there is a uh, Alberto Giacometti exhibition going on at the Tate Modern as we speak. Um, how would you describe Giacometti's work, Ryan? Wow, well, it, to me, it's... I think it's very expressionistic. Mm -hmm. I know that he did dabble in surrealism and cubism and things yeah. like that, but it's definitely relatively human and very much about the internal soul of the people he's portraying, creating portraits of, be that sculptures or or painted portraits. Yeah. So I feel like it's very expressionistic. I think it's really deep stuff. Yeah, and and it's all very much there. You don't have to spend too much time no. looking at yeah. it to work out what kind of emotions are going on. Very. Very and clear. really personal as well to him because when, when I walked into the exhibition the first room is this big setup of loads of heads yeah. loads of busts and they're all of they're of his wife they're of his brother his mother his so he's good friends with um, Simone de Beauvoir mm -hmm. there's a couple of her and loads of the ex most of the exhibition most of the portraits and the busts and the figures are all based on these people in his life and I think that's really interesting that this is then a film about him painting someone outside of that circle. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's perhaps why it's a struggle, yeah. because he doesn't know He's, not as connected he's, he's to got to person. get to know yeah. the person, yeah. 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 Um, so, going into this film, I had certain expectations, I think, because, I mean, I know that, so Stanley Tucci is a very accomplished filmmaker. Mm -hmm. um, Jeffrey Rush and Armie Hammer do very interesting roles, I think, these days. But I expected this to be quite safe, a bit quaint, a bit maybe terrestrial, but I was actually surprised that it wasn't just that. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's coming out at a time of year where we get films like Suffragettes. Yeah. Where, okay, it's very, like, it's very friendly viewing. Mm. It's, it's historical, it's, it's informing, it's educating, it's entertaining. Yeah. And, <laughs> but it's, it's kind of just shy of any awards mark yeah but it's it's almost there and it's kind of building your way up to that season and there's nothing wrong with that and it's actually a really nice watch yeah but that that makes me sound like that's a bad thing yeah that it doesn't have value and it does and i think i think what's key is there's a there's a really good line at the start where um Giacometti sits uh, James, James Lord that's the mm -hmm. giant sits him down 
and um, he says, "I'll never be able to paint you as I see you." Right. And I think that for me, that coming so early in the film, that was Tucci kind of saying, "I'm never actually going to be able to make a film about mm. how I see Giacometti." Yeah. So he's using this story of an outsider to just give an give a mm. tiny little slice of a slice of life. Yeah. Really rather than actually trying to penetrate what it means to be him. Yeah, I think so. And I think these days in the most successful biographies, if you can even call this film a biography, don't show the person, the subject, from birth to death anymore. Yeah. Because we're, we're done with that. Yeah, you pick a significant moment in yeah. their life or, or, like you say, something from an outsider's perspective that allows the audience yeah. who are also outsiders to get in. Absolutely. There. Rather than, yeah, like you said, rather than try and penetrate or rather than try and really work out what's going on in their mind is a waste of time. Mm-hmm. And I think the most successful films to do that have been like Lincoln, mm-hmm. been Selma, Steve Jobs, where it just showed you three short, real-time moments of Steve mm-hmm. Jobs' life yeah. rather than the Ashton Kutcher version, which goes through 50 years of right. his life or yeah. whatever. Um, so this is really nice. I think set up, is it 18 days in the end of this film? Yeah. So yeah, 15 days in Paris in 1964 where James Lord goes to meet Giacometti and he's been writing about Giacometti and he's invited him there so he can paint a portrait of him. Um, very simple setup. And like I said, I, I, I knew this was the setup and I was expecting it to be sort of light and funny, but I think there's more um, complex stuff going on than perhaps you would think, particularly in terms of the visual style. I was actually surprised at the camera. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was yeah. going to bring this up, particularly with a film about a painter. Yeah. You often think it's got to be so composed. I'm thinking yeah. something like Mr. Turner, yeah. where every single shot feels like it's just been so precisely lined mm. beforehand and storyboarded. Yeah. And this feels quite fresh. And in a way, it's like when you see how Giacometti works with sculptures and stuff and that he is quite frenetic in a way, yeah. and he's got a for an old man, he's got a lot of energy as well. Yeah. And I think they're trying to... Jeffrey Rush is like that in the performance, and I think it's trying to match that with the form as well. Yeah, the camera work's quite bumbling, isn't it? Mm, and, yeah. and, and Jeffrey Rush is pretty bumbling and yeah. almost drunken at times. And But then it does... The camera work slightly softens and calms down a bit when they actually sit to paint. Mm, yeah. And he calms mm. more goes into the zone and the yeah. camera goes with him bumbling is a good word because the camera is often it's moving in and out of buildings it's close up it's wide shot it's all over the place and yeah. I think that's perhaps Stanley Tucci thinking you know I'm making a film essentially about two people sitting down how can I make this cinematic yeah and I think he's done that really well yeah um, and so as well as the camera there's the the sort of the sets and what Giacometti's workshop and house looks like and they look like a Giacometti house would look. It's <laughs> grey, it's messy, it looks like if you put your hand on the wall something would come off with your hand yeah. as well. Yeah. And that's what his particularly the kind of his famous figurines look like. They're kind of almost grotesque in a way. That they're kind of misshapen, long limbed, really sort of lumpy and um, bumpy kind of texture yeah. to them. Yeah, they look really emaciated and fragile yeah. and the studio is so chaotic yeah. that you're right it feels like everywhere you turned your coat jacket will just knock over a yeah. potentially priceless priceless piece <laughs> but of art I, I don't think he would even mind that no, if you, no, if you exactly. did yeah there's a, a really one of my favorite scenes in the whole, in fact, i think my favorite scene in the whole thing is when he uh, Giacometti has a bag of money that he's got from there. my favourite scene as well do, do you want yeah. to talk do you want no to, no go all right um, he uh, has this bag of money and he asks 
James Lord Army Harry's character to hide it on a high beam. And so James Lord climbs up onto this box and he's kind of reaching and reaching precariously over this statue, which is, I mean, we don't really know exactly what the statue is, but it's probably worth a lot. Yeah. And it kind of, and Tucci's teasing us. And in the like Jacques Tati version of this film, the box starts wobbling <laughs> left to right and he falls and he smashes this thing, but that's not what this film is. And it's more about, it's less about what might happen and more about yeah. like Giacometti have seeming disregard for the safety of his all of his work yeah. and yeah. how he perceives the worth and value of it. Yeah. I thought it was such a great scene and such a great way to, to deal with that. Yeah, absolutely. Notion of art and its worth, yeah. yeah. I think that's a dilemma that kind of runs throughout and you don't know whether Giacometti is genuinely kind of um, like defaming himself mm. on purpose mm. to seem humble or whether that it is genuine because when there's a bit where he sells he gets some old paintings back and he yeah. sells them new ones and he and he treats it like he's just hustled them yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, like he has so little value for these yeah. things yeah. these suckers have just paid me yeah. this money for this. Yeah. but then he's got no he doesn't seem to have any value for the money anyway yeah and yeah it's it's quite interesting like the way that he treats i suppose his fame yeah, and I mentioned in the introduction that he's this obsessive perfectionist, but I don't think that's quite the right word because... So it seems like he's getting really annoyed at himself and he swears a lot while he's painting this portrait of James Lord, that he's obsessed with this painting, that he needs to make it perfect, that's why it's taking so long. He's, he's aggressively perfectionist. Yeah, yeah, but then he's more than happy to go out drinking and go out having coffee and long lunches. And it seems like he's using these things to distract himself from the painting and just needs an excuse to get away from the painting as well. I think that's that becomes part of his routine right. as well. Mm. That every painting has to have this frustrating process, and everything has to be mm. destroyed before it can be rebuilt. And uh, this was what Brian Eno was doing with yeah. David Bowie with his little um, with the cards that I can't remember that he, he would bring into the right. studio and yeah. like get Bowie to pick out a card, and the card might say destroy everything. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, well, it's what the card says. We've yeah. got to do it. Um, and I think he's very much in just kind of waiting for something to happen yeah. and you're not quite sure. And he, that, that plays into the, the painting at the end as well in that perhaps we don't know what is actually, what, what process he's gone through to, no. to create the final portrait. And that doesn't quite matter. It's just really unpredictable what his methods actually mm. are and what satisfies him in the end. Yeah, and the um, so his brother Diego is played by Tony Shalhoub, and he says a couple of times, "Oh, this could because James James Lord asks him, how long will this take?" And he mm. says, "I don't know, weeks, could be <laughs> yeah. years. Who am I to say?" Yeah. Uh, so, how did you think sort of art and the artist was represented in the film, like the process of making art and what the film's saying about art, if anything at all? <laughs> That's such Jake, a big what's art? <laughs> yeah. Does it have value? Um, I, I struggle with films about artists a lot of the okay. time because I think ultimately you're using one, a visual medium of storytelling yeah. to portray something else that is meant to be consumed in a different way as well. So it's like you're trying to represent a painting 
through a film, which right. is not how the painting is meant to be yeah. seen. Um, and a lot of the time... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. When someone is making a film about an artist, maybe not a painter, maybe it could be a musician, it could be whatever, a lot of the time they will try and make the form of the film reflective of the style Mm. of the artist and like I think Mr. Turner where like the sky looks like it's been painted by Turner exactly and you've got stuff sometimes it kind of works if it's if it's done a bit more flippantly and a bit of a joke maybe like miles ahead right in that that was that's in on the joke of being a jazz film and it's and it's got a lot it's kind of it doesn't it celebrates and disregards the idea of jazz at the same time and I think that's fine and then there's something like uh, there's Basque out the film and then there's the documentary The Radiant Child which I watched recently and that is really aggressive Mm. and it's like all the sound levels are way all over the place with really frenetic jazz drumming and loads of different title cards in different typography and jumping around timelines and jumping between colour and you get that it's like oh we're trying to be yeah. a Basquiat but mm. a film but the thing is you're not him yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Like, yeah. the thing that I like about him is his paintings and actually I'd rather you just stuck to a normal form or a structure throughout and yeah. you committed to a style and then showed the paintings and then gave information there rather than trying to show someone's form in a different form who you are not Mm. but I don't think I think this kind of gets away with it because it's not not trying it's not really aggressive as well you've got the other end of the spectrum as well the um, the uh, Van Gogh film that's Mm. coming out soon is it Loving Vincent yeah yeah where every the whole film is painted as a Van Gogh mm. film. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be a fun uh, hour and a half or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Like that is, Wait and see. That to one. me, yeah. that's got to be a that's Facebook, maybe five minute thing. <laughs> uh, that's got to be a <laughs> migrate. That's, that's, yeah. that's, yeah. that's yeah. a yeah. Cool. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, when we all know that the best Van Gogh is the Doctor Who episode, Vincent and the Doctor. Oh, <laughs> by <laughs> Richard <laughs> Curtis. <laughs> I want to talk about Jeffrey Rush for a bit as well. Just um, in general. Just in general. I love Jeffrey Rush. <laughs> yeah. And at the exhibition, they have a there's a video at the end which shows him the real Giacometti painting. The Arte documentary. Yeah. Yeah. 
and my god does Jeffrey Rush look exactly like Jack really yeah it's the spitting image it's, it's uncanny isn't yeah. it and it's all, so much of it is in the hair I think yeah it's the hair it's yeah. the sort of constant kind of scowl yes yeah. and when he's um, painting the sort of the way he moves his eyes and his hands are exactly identical it's that little flick yeah. of the eye isn't yeah. it yeah absolutely yeah and you see him so as you see Jack Mitty painting a portrait and yeah the way his hands like flicks up and down and flicks back and forth is exactly the same as it's done in Final Portrait so that's a nice little touch and Jeffrey Rush as well is so is a complicated character I think Giacometti because mm. we've talked about how does he is he in it for the money does he really love art is he really a perfectionist etc and I think he gets that across he gets everything he wants to across with actually not loads of dialogue really mainly just noises and and one particular word repeated over and over again that we so I think he's cannot say yeah it's perfect casting and it's a great character to have at the centre of your film mm. weirdly I was um, thinking of Jeff like relatively recent Jeffrey Rush films yeah. Bar Parts of the Caribbean I went back to King's Speech oh, yeah. where he is this like Bertie yeah well, that is, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, but he spends that film in a kind of regal but also kind of decaying yeah studio yeah and I couldn't get out of my head that, the, that this is Bertie. Yeah. <laughs> it's like things have gone wrong. He's <laughs> <laughs> escaped to France. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, France is really interesting in the film because you'd expect Paris in the 1960s to be heavily romanticised. I know it's not quite the era of Midnight Paris, but I was expecting it to be a bit more of that kind of rose-tinted look of Paris. But Paris is really grey and not particularly appealing at all times in the film. Yeah, we don't see a lot of Paris, this, do we? Uh, yeah, we see I, little yeah. streets and we see like yeah. 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 I think the film... Like, no, that's not a bad thing. The film does not have a high budget. And I think like, you can see that through its yeah. locations. And if you want to close down a Paris street for a day, I, that, yeah. that's going to cost you a lot. And yeah. I, I, it's not a coincidence that most of the stuff is happening in the studio and the street next to the studio. Mm. But I think as well, it, and it works quite well for them that they maybe couldn't have mm. the access to Paris that they might want because it's showing that this is the reality of what Paris life is like for an artist and that that kind of, that world perhaps as we think of it doesn't really exist anymore in the mid-60s. Yeah. That this world where everyone in Paris was an artist or a writer or a yeah. poet and you just hang around in coffee shops and it was all fine. That's not a reality anymore. Mm. Paris is actually more of a is moving into something new that perhaps Giacometti won't be around for much longer there. Yeah, actually that's a really good point because there's a bit where he goes for lunch. Yeah. Which is a really great scene, I thought, where um, he gets his, he goes to his clearly his favourite place and they've already got his lunch plated up. Yeah. They know exactly when he's going to finish his first glass of yeah. wine so they can bring out the second. <laughs> yeah. And then two espressos and he consumes yeah. the whole thing within <laughs> seconds yeah. but they're the only ones in there yeah that's it's, it. it's almost a sad scene yeah and he kind of they yeah the waiters are just hanging around aren't they mm. yeah like they're expecting him and they've got yeah. these two boiled eggs and slices of ham yeah, ready and waiting glamorous or... it's as though it's part of his routine his creative process yeah. isn't it and he goes there and he has this set meal yeah. and they know it's coming and 
Giacometti comes yeah. in every other day and he has the same thing. And I think part of his identity that the film shows is that he's almost willing to let himself be exploited. And he's, mm-hmm. like, he's reached a point in his life where he knows he's got money and he doesn't really value it. And so no. he doesn't mm-hmm. quite care when people want it. Yeah. And so you, when he pays for the lunch, he just throws a load of cash on yeah. the table. Yeah, may or may not be the actual price. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, fine, we'll have that. And yeah. the same way that there's a scene involving um, the pimps of the prostitute yeah. who's his muse, and he just keeps yeah. raising the price yeah. that he wants yeah. to pay. And they said, no, 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 that's too much. That's too <laughs> yeah. Much. <laughs> um, that was an interesting character. I didn't know about the... Um, the prostitute who's his muse the Clements Posey yeah. Yeah. yeah who's quite annoying but I mean, intentionally so yeah she's in this like, kind of laissez-faire life yeah. where she yeah. comes and goes what, what did you make of the way that those relationships were shot because if I'm not mistaken every time that he was with her his wife observed through a distorted yeah. pane of glass mm. or in a reflection and you never saw they weren't in the same scene yeah there was the always some kind of distortion that yeah. they viewed them from but everyone stuck around for it yeah nobody i think i think it's a really interesting dynamic that's created yeah. between him and the muse because then it's annette is his wife yeah and that's mm. sylvia sylvia tested yeah. who's really good like she, she's in this she's right? brilliant yeah. and um because she has, she takes her own lover as well yeah she, uh, who again we see through, through yeah. a window pane. yeah yeah and and so you, it's yeah you do get this distortion of what these relationships actually are because then there is another scene after we've maybe seen what in any other film would be the thing that crumbles the marriage whereas in this in the next scene they seem the happiest that we've seen yeah, them. they're, they're yeah. laying down together they're talking about they're going to the opera and yeah, yeah they're happy and I think that's maybe it suggests that that has always been the dynamic yeah, yeah. I think so and what you got from the exhibitions that he did really love and that he painted her all Absolutely, the time yeah. Yeah. It is, it's almost as though he you know once you achieve a certain level of, of success the the natural torment of life kind of evaporates yeah. but he and his wife seem to try and manufacture Something. strife yeah. and like issues to keep that whatever that is if that's the source of the creative juice yeah that's part of it it's almost like she knows that she needs to provoke him to yeah. get him to work yeah yeah maybe maybe and what did you think of Army Hammer as kind of the audience in corporate so he, he's out eyes and ears mm. on the scene effectively yeah and I think seeing through here his facial expressions like what is going on this is crazy <laughs> like you say looking through windows and yeah slowly uncovering what life is like for the Giacometti family but it's not like he's it's like Van Wilder or something where he's stumbled <laughs> into a crazy artist studio and is going like what's going on here yeah. <laughs> looks at the camera like yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, he's actually like this could be really over the top performance yeah, from him yeah. um, but I think he handles it really nicely and it's in a in the similar stuff to in, what he did in Man From Uncle in the yeah. comedy and that is quite like all, it's all in the eyes yeah. and the, in the looks and he looks really good in this as well yeah. just sitting there and I think like, as a as a deal for him 
on yeah. the hammock. So like, oh, yeah, you just come here. It's like one, one, maybe two locations, and you just get to sit down. Yeah. Do you have new lines? Yeah, maybe it's like here yeah. and there. Yeah. I always like when Jack Mitty calls him, you, you have the head of a brute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's the continuation of the ham, Hammersons, are we calling it? Oh, the Hammerson uh, army Hammersons. Yeah. Did he go? Was, did he have he a bad run? He didn't really have a bad run, but he just kind of was sporadically in a couple of things for a while, and then just I felt like the past year. Oh he's yeah, been was it a, a a LFF? Yeah. He was in about four. He was things. in four or five films at LFF. He's going to be so he's in this. He's in the next Ben Wheatley film. He's in um, Call Me by, Call your, me name. by your Name, which he was in Free Fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So he's in. Was it? Was he in Nocturnal Animals? He was in Noc- so, he's in, so I saw in one day, I saw Birth of a Nation, which he is in, uh-huh. Free Fire, and Nocturnal Animals, all of which Army Hammer has some kind of supporting role in. Wow. Yeah. Who is his agent? Yeah. yeah. Give that person a raise. He's, I think he's really becoming someone quite recognisable, yeah. quite worth watching. He's yeah. really someone to come out for, I mean. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that he didn't get that Superman role that he was meant Batman. to have. Was it Batman? Yeah, it was Batman. That for George, George Miller. Miller's Justice League. Yeah. Right. But he, would have, he was like 20 years old, which wouldn't have worked. Yeah. And that was pre-social network. And yeah. I d- who knew of Army Hammer at that no, point? Yeah. That was... That was the thing. It also took me ages to realise his name was Army and not Arnie. And not Arnie. <laughs> Arnie. Arnold Hammer, surely. That is. That would be a great name. It's Armand. Armand Hammer. Armand Hammer. That, that's <laughs> so good. <laughs> like, imagine growing up with that name and not being cool. Like you, yeah. you just your parents were just like, well, we've got to risk it. He's just got to be cool. We tried. <laughs> yeah. Um, Actually, yep. Something about uh, we. Quickly, we mentioned the camera earlier. Yes. Uh, the way that he shoots, um, he shoots Army Hammer when it's coming from Giacometti's perspective, really close up and with mm. a really shallow depth of field that mm. kind of moves between the background and foreground. And when you look at the painting that he's working on, the background of the painting and his clothes are really not the focus at all. Mm. It's all the face, and that's he'll do a bit of the face, won't like it, paint over it do the face again yeah. and this becomes something that Hammer tries to actually get in the way of as well to stop him just painting yeah. over and over and I think that is in the camera work of how we see uh, James Lord in the chair in that it's it's always around the face yeah. and it's pulling from the background in but it's never a full facial close up it will move from the chin up to the eyes or it will pull focus from the background to his ear and I think this is trying to reflect the way that Giacometti is looking at him and looking at what he's actually interested in and it's like he will just be looking at an ear and he might just be spending an hour thinking mm. about how to do the ear yeah absolutely uh, any final thoughts then on the uh, final portrait I think it ends on a really nice note yeah yeah. when we weren't worried about spoilers here are we I mean it's when well no we know that the portrait is painted yeah, yeah. it gets painted yeah. and yeah. It, it, it ends doesn't it? it it could never end but Army Hammer and James Lord have to kind of interject and make it end yeah well because he needs to fly back is to he, New York yeah, yeah he needs to yeah. oh yeah yeah you've done it that's good you've done yeah, it that's yeah. good yeah it's what is it it's something yeah he, sa- he it's, says it's progress we've gone we've got far we right. could have gone further 
but we've got somewhere and that's something yeah something to that effect but he, he says really that he, nice he never considers any of the pictures a finished oh yeah he says um, it's impossible to finish a portrait yeah yeah and I think this when we look at it but when you look at his other paintings as well they could be unfinished yeah but that is completely part of it yeah, yeah. and you see him working on a sculpture he just kind of he put does two things to it and then leaves it and you get the feeling that he's these sculptures have been in his room for years that every now and then he'll tinkle with it a bit and I think oh, yeah. I'll go back to it at some point yeah yes yeah, so they could never be finished yeah that's a really nice way to end it and they end in a graveyard where uh, he kind of says oh I would walk you to the airport but and he really doesn't linger on the film no like, Tucci to his credit he knows where the story ends yeah and so it ends there it doesn't mm. it doesn't have title cards like Giacometti would go on to be recognised <laughs> James Lord's article yeah. would be published yeah <laughs> and uh, Army Hammer does have some uh, narration, voiceover narration yeah which Maybe I knew she was a replicant. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't, it doesn't end like that. <laughs> As I saw Giacometti walking away, it changed my life forever. Uh, yeah, so that's the final portrait. That's out today. Uh, do check it out. And the Giacometti exhibition is on at the Tate Modern until the 10th of September. I and then I think it gets taken over by Basquiat. Oh, perfect. Oh, yeah. There we go. It's all connected. It is. Uh, so, uh, home, Cousin Home Cinema, what could you watch on there this week, Jake? Yeah, so if, um, for, if you're wanting to pair Final Portrait with something, um, I think Finding Vivian Meyer is mm -hmm. a really interesting documentary that touches on some of the points that I was making earlier about directors trying to outdo their subjects. Mm. And I would, maybe, I would strongly recommend watching this film to get an insight into Vivian Meyer, this photographer who was absolutely amazing and never shared any of her photos with anyone. And so completely privately kept all the negatives, everything, and then she died. And then this director, John Malouf, was at an auction and just bought the negatives on the chance that there might be something in there. Looks at them and suddenly we found one of the best American street photographers of the 20th century, which is such a good story and seeing the photos on a whatever screen you can, you'll be completely stunned by them. And that is why you should watch the film as an access point for Maya and then mm. just look at the images, go out and buy the photo book and just to, to tell a story, because it is tragic and he, yeah. like, there's an investigation into who she was and what her job was and what her family background is. But it's just that there are points in the film where it's like Maloof is trying to be the director right. and let you know I am here like I'm I'm also making something here it's not about these images because yeah. I'm I am the director here but I would I would really recommend watching it anyway just to get into those photos because her photography is absolutely amazing yeah uh, I'd also recommend uh, Hitchcock Truffaut mm -hmm. a documentary about um, the meeting between and the conversations between Alfred Hitchcock and Francois Truffaut they don't have exactly the same dynamic as um, Giacometti and Lord, but there's something there about this kind of interviewing the art, this great artist and exploring his work through the medium of film. And if you're a, if you're a Hitchcock fan, I think this is a must-see. And you've also got interviews with people like Martin Scorsese, who uh, shed light on what Hitchcock means to them. So check that out. 
Great. Uh, so that is goodbye from Jake. Goodbye. Goodbye from Ryan. Goodbye. And goodbye from me. Thanks for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.